Hello and welcome. It is <clears throat> Eric Erickson here. The Eric Erickson Show across the nation. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. If you would like to be a part of this program. Uh, well, so here is a, a situation. I'm afraid I have suddenly become a news story. I tweeted a while ago that uh, Democrats believe you should have to show your photo ID and vaccine card to get into a grocery store, but think it's racist to require a photo ID to vote. Now, I probably should have said restaurant, bars, and gyms instead of grocery stores because it actually does appear that uh, grocery stores are exempt. But in Washington, D.C., businesses will be required to check your vaccine card starting January 15th to get into restaurants, bars, and gyms. To get into restaurants, bars, and gyms in Washington, D.C., you'll have to show your vaccine card. And the mayor of D.C. says, bring your photo ID so they can make sure you're really you in the card. But yet it's racist to show a photo ID to vote. Now, a writer for The New Yorker who lives in Atlanta just put on Twitter, I called three or four grocery stores in Macon, Georgia, where Erickson lives, and they're not requiring photo ID to get in. Really? That's your fact check? I wasn't talking about a state where Republicans are in charge. This is becoming uh, de facto in multiple Democratic uh, areas of the country, not just Washington, D.C., and yet their, their fact check is, well, in Colorado, it's not. No, in Colorado, the Democratic governor there actually had enough sense to say, go back, live your lives, get rid of the mask mandate and everything else. But really, this is what you're going to do. You know it is true. I, there is news articles out there. I just referenced one. Okay, I shouldn't have said grocery store for Washington, D.C. But bars, restaurants, and gyms in Democratic areas of the country, you got to show your photo ID and a Vax card to get in but you don't want to show photo ID for voting. You think that's racist. Uh, you people are not serious, and it's why you're going to get your butt kicked in the election in November. I didn't even intend to start the show with that, but it suddenly went viral and spread. So, Philip, I saved that video. You should get up on Twitter right now. That's your job. Don't get fired. <laughs> I actually want to start with something else. I want to, just a history lesson for you. My daughter was born on August 28th, 2005. At the hospital, they joked we should name her Katrina. Why? Because outside, the storm was raging. Now, I am from Louisiana. And Katrina was a disaster, the scars of which you can still see almost 20 years later. Katrina was awful. My wife actually worked with a lady whose family refused to move. They knew the storm was coming. People said the storm surge was going to be great. They lived in southern Mississippi, but they lived several miles inland from the coast. 
they thought they would be fine. They found the whole family in a live oak. They were all alive, thank God, clinging for their lives. I'm not making that story up. The whole family, the storm surge came in, washed the house away, and they clinged to each other in a live oak. It was that bad. Bridges and roads and whole towns washed away by the storm surge of Katrina. It was awful. And it happened while George W. Bush was president. He had gotten into his second term, had won with 51% of the vote against John Kerry. Democrats had peddled conspiracy theories all that November that sound very familiar. The Diebold electronic voting machines in Ohio were rigged. Ken Blackwell, then the Secretary of State, he somehow or another uh, was able to fraudulently rig the system to ensure George W. Bush's re-election. The Democrats went nuts over Bush's re-election. And the media went nuts with them to a degree. And when Katrina rolled through, the media and the Democrats together pushed a narrative against George W. Bush that he was so focused on the war that he was incompetent when it came to the domestic front. And Katrina became the albatross around his neck. And he had several missteps. Uh, Brownie, I forget the guy's wrote Michael Brown, was it, uh, who was in charge of FEMA? Uh, they actually, FEMA did a terrible job in the initial stages after Katrina. The storm was far more dangerous. Than, I mean, they, they knew it was going to be a bad storm. It was far worse than they even projected. And FEMA did a terrible job. Actually, the Southern Baptist Mission Board was the first organization on the ground. They even beat in Walmart. And Walmart came in before the federal government. You know the, the Waffle House rule? You can tell how bad a storm situation is by uh, whether or not a Waffle House is open or on limited menu or closed. There were Waffle Houses that no longer existed. Clean slates, just the concrete slab where they had been. That's how bad Katrina was. And FEMA screwed things up, and it was hung around George Bush's neck by the Democrats. He had flown Air Force One over the New Orleans area. They tipped the wings and turned so he could look out the window. He did not want to land in New Orleans because he did not want to distract from the recovery efforts. The airport was not in good condition to begin with, and he didn't want them to have to distract from cleanup to clean up the airport for him to be able to land. And the Democrats said, look, he doesn't even care. He just flew over and looked. He didn't even land. And it, it hung around George Bush's neck. There was no way for him to win on that, of course. Had he landed and they redirected resources to clean up the airport, uh, they would have attacked him as well. But it sunk in that George Bush was so focused on a war overseas, he had lost his focus on people at home. He didn't care. The guy who seemed to care, the guy who hugged people, the guy who was crying with everybody all the time, he just no longer cared. He wasn't competent to handle this stuff, and it stuck. His polling never recovered. There were other things as well, but it was it was Katrina. Joe Biden has had his Katrina moment. And I don't know that he will ever recover. And the Democrats should have been mindful of this. He should have been mindful of this. Joe Biden was one of the people who capitalized on George W. Bush after Katrina. He should have known. To quote Jeremiah Wright, the chickens have come home to roost for Joe Biden. Joe Biden's polling collapsed and went negative in Afghanistan. You don't have to know 
all of the details of Afghanistan to know that the American public went from looking at Joe Biden as the man who cared and was not Donald Trump. He was actually competent. He knew how to manage the government. It turned out he was an incompetent biblical donkey who might have dementia. The growing polling from Americans who think there might be something wrong with Joe Biden, something the media doesn't talk about, and only a few pollsters will poll on it, but there's a growing body of evidence that suggests Americans aren't quite sure Joe Biden isn't out to lunch. Maybe he's out to lunch, maybe not. More people think he is than used to. But also, overwhelmingly, people don't think he's competent. They think he's incompetent. And they don't like him very much anymore. They don't think that he's the guy. He campaigned as caring and compassionate, and he would put his arm around you. He had a tragic life story with his first wife and, and his child being killed, and, and the man knew how to relate to other people. He made it all about relatability. Remember the Muslim dad, uh, the soldier who spoke at the Democratic Convention? He was not actually as partisan as people claimed, uh, but Donald Trump went after him for his criticisms, and they had him at the Democratic Convention, and his point was that Joe Biden cared about his son. But Joe Biden didn't care about your sons and daughters in Afghanistan. Those 13 soldiers got killed. The Taliban stormed in way quicker than they should have. We allowed them to come in and we left Americans behind. Americans don't leave Americans behind, but Joe Biden did. You don't really recover from that. And so now we're in the situation where inflation is high. 7%, the highest it's been since 1982, the consumer inflation. But it's not just that. Consumer, the consumer price index is up, but industrial inflation is actually at a record high. It's not just consumer prices. Inflation is off the chain. The administration is incapable of battling back the virus. Joe Biden said he would beat the virus, that he was more competent than Donald Trump. He could beat the virus, not contain the virus, not manage the virus. He would beat the virus. And now this morning, Joe Biden's urging Americans to mask up yet again. They told us to get vaxxed, get boosted, live your life. And now they're saying, but in an N95 mask and we're going to make it freely available. And by God, you better wear it. They can't beat it. They can't get voting rights passed in the Senate. Kristen Sinema right now is speaking on the floor of the United States Senate saying there is no way in hell she's changing the filibuster. That kills the voting rights measure. Joe Biden poured all of his political capital into a cause he lost before he began it. Makes him not look competent. It also, he poured all of his energy into a voting rights measure that was lost before he began and he didn't do anything like that with COVID. And he can't get it done. And in the process, he dared to divide Americans, calling people who disagree with him a racist. A president, the Quinnipiac poll has at 33%. By the way, let me give you clear perspective here. At 33%, the lowest Donald Trump ever went in the Quinnipiac poll was 37%. So Joe Biden is more unpopular than Donald Trump ever was. He's more unpopular by seven points than Gerald Ford was after he pardoned Richard Nixon. 
and a president with only a third of the support of the American public wants the Democrats in the United States Senate who hold 50 of 100 seats to break the rules of the Senate to unilaterally change and get rid of the filibuster through breaking the rules of the Senate that require a two-thirds vote to actually change the rules. He wants them to change the rules with only 50 votes plus the tie-breaking for the vice president in order to pass a law to keep Democrats in power and yet says it's the Republicans who are the threat to democracy. Joe Biden had his Katrina moment in Afghanistan and his administration was too clueless to realize they needed to undo the damage. He dug his heels in on Afghanistan when all of his advisors told him not to and the repercussions, we're still feeling them. We're still feeling those repercussions. Joe Biden not only lost Afghanistan to the Taliban, he's on the verge of losing his power to the Republicans because it turns out the public's right. He doesn't care and he's not competent and he might just have dementia and nothing his administration has done since Afghanistan has done anything to change people of that perception. But that perception has become the presupposition in every news headline involving Joe Biden that the public encounters, and they're not likely to change it anytime soon. And the result is doom and gloom for the Democrats headed to November. They're already openly in Washington now talking about the Republicans might just take back the Senate too, something that even four months ago was a hypothetical and now looks more like reality. And it all comes down to Biden and everything he's done on every single issue since Afghanistan has struck the American public as uncaring, not compassionate, and not competent. And his White House, all they can do is what Democrats always do, scream racism. We've made sure to expand the podcast. If you miss the show, you can get the podcast, iTunes, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, you name it. You can even get the 24-7 live stream to listen to the previous 24 hours of the show, text the word show to 33777. You'll go back all the links to Google uh, Play, to iTunes, to Spotify, to the live stream, even to the Substack email, show to 33777. Let's go to Chris calling on the phones. Chris, welcome to the program. How are you? Good. Thanks, Eric. Um, do you ever want to see a liberal's eyes grow crossed? Um, you know how hey, you have to go and have proof of vaccination to go anywhere in D.C.? Yeah. Um, what about a polling place? Um, you better show your proof of vaccination before you come into my polling place. I mean, I'm a poll worker. I'm, I'm scared to death. I, I can't have unvaccinated people in my polling place. Uh, so I, if you ever really want to um, get them tongue-tied, Ask them yeah. about that because, you know. That would actually be kind of funny. You know how many people yeah. love that? Um, <laughs> and, and, and it's just silly. I mean, the whole voter ID thing, you show voter IDs to prove that you're the person for the ballot. Right. I mean, it, how simple is that? Yeah, it really is. And the fact that, you know, is Chris, thanks very much for the phone call. Uh, 85% of non-white voters in the United States, 85% of black, Hispanic, and Asian voters in this country support photo ID for voting. Democrats want you to have to show your ID to get into a restaurant with your vaccine card to prove you're really you and you've been vaccinated. 
but to actually vote in this country, they they don't. Um, and it's really fun to point that out. But you should know the reason I'm saying this is because I put this up on Twitter this morning and the angry horde of Mordor is coming after me. They are furious with me. Is that true? Is that true? Is such I did say grocery store, so technically it's not in D.C. In Washington, D.C., grocery stores and churches are exempted. But restaurants, bars, gyms, and most other businesses uh, that are uh, customer-focused, you've got to show a vaccine card, and the mayor of D.C. has tweeted out, bring your ID so they can make sure you're, you're really you to get in. And yet, no photo ID to vote. Uh, these people, they, you can't make it up. They get outraged about the craziest things. Maybe we should just go on. By the way, uh, I, I do want you to know, uh, I'm going to shift stuff up from what I was going to talk about. Right now, uh, call your friends, call your family. If if you're confused on all the Omicron stuff, I think it's probably time for me to try to clarify for you stuff. And this comes from a lot of emails from people. And then my wife was talking to someone this morning who's got to go to a meeting and was just completely confused depending on who you listen to. You hear different stuff. I'm going to do my best to try to synchronize all the latest information for you for moving forward on, on what the situation actually is based on the current data Having weeded out all the contradictory stuff, try, I've done my best to synthesize, to talk to doctors, epidemiologists, virologists. I've listened to the CDC for what that's worth and the FDA, the White House. So let me just give you, when we come back, the, the bottom line primer on what's the current state of play with COVID and Omicron. And there's actually really, really good news out there that should encourage you as opposed to making you think your hair is on fire and, and you got to shut down and stuff. Right now, though, I got to tell you, uh, TikTok has become the latest censor out there. My buddy Ryan Anderson, he's the president of the Ethics and Public Policy Center. He put up a TikTok video on how you cannot biologically, scientifically pick your own gender. They have banned his account. They've, they've taken it down uh, and said he runs afoul of their guidelines. He literally wrote a book on the subject. He is genuinely an expert on the subject. And they are censoring him on TikTok for just telling you what the biological, current biological science says on this issue. And they won't let him. They've turned it off. It's the craziest darn thing. I will take your phone calls as well when we come back. 877-973-7425. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The Eric Erickson Show. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC-877-973-7425. I want to do a deep dive for you on the latest on COVID, the Omicron variant. Uh, There's some new data out there. It's very good. Uh, The president now wanting everyone to wear N95 masks. Uh, There's a lot to digest and absorb out there. Uh, But before I get to that, uh, I got a guest joining me, Congressman Kevin Brady, uh, who's retiring from Congress this year, great member of Congress from Texas, uh, who has been on uh, the ranking member of Ways and Means. And Congressman, I can't tell you enough how much I appreciate the work you've done. And I bet you're kind of looking at all these members who are having to do fundraisers and scrambling around and laughing at them. It is, Eric. Good. Thanks for having me on the show. And yeah, it, it, look, I, I still love my job. I, I love the conservative uh, uh, conference I'm in. Uh, and actually, I, I'm pretty optimistic we're going to get this country back and on track. But yeah, after 20, this is my 26th year, and it's, it is time. But we've still got 
we are still in the middle of a bunch of fights, including these tax hikes and now this national takeover, attempted national takeover of our state and local elections. It's, uh, we're, they're not giving up, and, and we can't either. Well, before I get into the election stuff, I, I, I want to talk to you about some of the COVID uh, stuff that yeah. you guys in Congress have to deal with. The president now today wants the federal government to essentially give people high-quality masks. Uh, we have a testing shortage. Uh, and you've got the, the vaccine mandate issue from the, the, the president that seems to bypass Congress's authority to even do this with OSHA. Uh, first of all, let me ask you just in your wheelhouse, the, the financial issue of this with inflation and the economy and the impact of it all, we seem to still be throwing money at the problem uh, without any sort of metrics of success from the White House. Yeah, that is exa- you are exactly on target and they want to throw more money at the problem, despite the fact that I think they've got more than half a trillion dollars still unspent from the last spending binge in, uh, in March uh, that could be repurposed, uh, especially for treatments uh, of COVID, which uh, this administration took the ball off, uh, their eye off that ball a long time ago, uh, which I think is, has had deadly consequences, I think, too, on the testing as well. Uh, and we see this isn't COVID-related, but sort of, we still have about you know six to ten million uh, people waiting to get their tax refunds from from this year and past, and uh, the Democrats haven't. They 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 again uh, yesterday just warned everyone it would be a chaotic tax filing s- season. They've had six trillion dollars to spend it. They didn't put a dime toward hiring uh, uh, new people to do customer service. So yeah, they their priorities here have been so focused on uh, this huge social spending binge and on this whole agenda, but they've really, I, I think that's why this past year for most Americans, it's been a really bitterly disappointing year under this president. Yeah, it does. Now, I, I don't want to rope you into to something you're not prepared to talk about, but, but I, I do think it's relevant. I remember back in after 2005 and Katrina, President Bush's poll numbers kind of, they went yeah. down and never recovered. And the, Joe Biden after Afghanistan, the same thing has happened. Yeah. And it never seems like his administration has grappled with the fact that he lost the trust of the public after Afghanistan and has never tried to get it back. Yeah, and I, I don't think he understands that, that – they just don't believe he's competent to lead. Uh, they see him, as, and they, they, they know that on the border. Uh, they suspect it on the border. Uh, they start to see, saw, see it on crime. Uh, and then, as you said, Afghanistan sort of pulled the whole curtain back for the country, and they realized he, he is not a competent leader. And uh, maybe worse than that, they now view him in polls as being a very weak leader on the world stage at a time where America, frankly, needs to be at its strongest. That's something the President Trump, whether you agreed with him or not, you know, you know, was a driver of change uh, around the world, frankly, every day. And so, yeah, I, I don't think he, they've grasped how much American people have lost confidence in this administration so quickly. Now, on the other issue here of voting rights, I noticed, I don't know if you saw this yesterday, Politico did some deep dive polling with Americans on their views of this, and they asked them about the three different proposals, the For the People Act, the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, and the Electoral College Reform Act, and which was the best solution, and none of the above was listed as the best solution. Americans simply don't care about that issue. Yeah, because they don't believe it, and the truth is, look, there's the fact is there's no evidence of state voter suppression in America. None. Uh, 
But the president, Speaker Pelosi, certainly over in the Senate for the next number of days, they're going to repeat that falsehood over and over and over. And it's, as you know, their excuse to undermine democracy through a national takeover of state and local elections. And uh, coming from Texas, where our legislature, I think, acted very responsibly, actually expanded. We've always had a lot of early, being a candidate, I know early voting, well, 14 days, including uh, weekends, Sundays, and uh, evenings. Uh, you know, we ha- it's easy to apply for a mail-in ballot. It's easy to do voter ID there. Um, they did really good work. The fact that the president or anyone else would describe that as voter suppression or voter restriction. It's just, it, it is the big lie. And it's uh, very frustrating to hear it repeated over and over. I, I said this morning, and you, you don't want to see my mentions on Twitter this morning, and <laughs> that people are angry with me. But I pointed out if the Democrats with just 50 seats break the rules of the Senate that require a two-thirds vote to change the rules, and they, they unilaterally change the rules of the Senate to pass a law to keep themselves in power, uh, they kind of need to stop calling Republicans the threat to democracy in this country. Yeah, they really do, and, and especially, you know, I, I think this year, my 26th, or last year, my 25th, I, I think I've seen more of the attempts to dismantle Democratic institutions than in the whole time I've been here, and it, including you know, trying to end the filibuster, which President Obama and others and Biden have said protects the voices of the minority uh, in the Senate. Um, this uh, national takeover elections, the defunding uh, of police the, um, in the House, uh, the, basically the elimination of the, the ability for the minority party to offer key amendments that have been there for 100 years. Uh, the Speaker's decision she'll appoint and remove people from committees, she'll appoint and block Republican appointments uh, on investigations. The weakening, what I think is the weakening of privacy of your, of your tax returns, in effect, uh, by going after President Trump's tax returns, uh, they, Congress is taking the power to weaponize the tax code and target any American you know, that they don't believe with politically and expose their private tax returns. All of this, along with what I think will be an effort, to pack the court if the abortion uh, uh, rulings aren't to their liking. Uh, I think there is a lot of what I see undermining those Democratic institutions driven by Democrats. Yeah, it, it, I'm, I just, I, I've always been amazed with the Democrats how when Republicans, like in, in 2010, you guys had this, this big election in the House, and it's, it's not a mandate for any sort of change, but the Democrats tie the Senate lose seats in the House, uh, pick up the presidency, and then lose a lot of state seats they thought they were going to win. And somehow that's a mandate for fundamental <laughs> change in the country. It's, it's just it's boggling to me how they can interpret the world this way and get a pass by the media. Yeah, and it is, uh, you know, I think um, the only silver lining, I think, in all of this is that it really exposed the true colors of who Democrats in Congress are today. And they are so extreme. The American public, uh, Eric, they're not buying this. What they're seeing up here from this one-party rule, they are not buying in this, nor are they buying this relentless narrative that America is hateful, racist, uh, and divided. In fact, they know in their own community, in their own groups, uh, their volunteer work, whether it's at church or, or at work or other, they, they know we are a different country than that. And so I think their absolute uh, disconnect from how this country, who this country is, uh, frankly, is going to drive the majority back to Republicans uh, here at the end of the year.
Hey, Congressman, before I let you go, I, w- I would just wild card question for you here. With, with you leaving, I, I read constantly now, uh, and I read it in conservative publications, mainstream publications, progressive publications, that one of the chief criticisms in Washington is that Congress no longer really legislates uh, leadership rights legislation and gets their side on board in both the House and the Senate, that members of Congress tend to be more pundits now on TV than anything. And one, I wanted your take on that. And, and two is is not to call this an exit interview. I, I hope you'll come back many more times before <laughs> the end of the year. But is, yeah. there, is there anything that you think Congress itself institutionally should do to make Congress work better? You know, I think the great question. And uh, so two, two answers. The first would be the, the most important thing Congress could do is rewrite this broken budget process that essentially, you know, sets sets timetables that are never met. Uh, that frankly, Congress either never does a budget, does it halfway, or ignores it once it's done, uh, and doesn't have a process to deal with with a gridlock uh, on the the appropriations, actual spending of it. Uh, and that, if I had one wish. It w- for reforms, it would be uh, in the budget process because I think it's contributed greatly over time to this uh, to the national debt and the dysfunction. But but on the other um, side of it, I I will tell you my experience in the House uh, under a number of speakers has in from our committee ways and means uh, it hasn't been a leadership driven uh, approach at all. In fact, uh, they they've encouraged and rewarded us for for building consensus among not just our committee, but the entire Republican conference, whether it's on tax reform, trade, or or any other key issue. And I think that's been, I think, part of our success when President Trump was in office, to be able to deliver on, on pretty short timetables for him. And so, you know, I don't, I don't see that occurring, at least not in the House, among House Republicans, I would say. Well, that, that's good to hear. Listen, Congressman, I enjoy talking to you, and, and you're welcome back anytime. Thank uh, you. I, I know we're going to have a lot to talk about between now and November. Uh, we do, and we still got a bunch of to tax them. hikes to stop, too. So, yeah, I'd love to come back if you don't mind. Absolutely. i happy to. And, and best luck to you. Happy New Year to you, and, and my best to your family. Thank you, sir. Take care. You too. Take care. Congressman Brady of Texas. Uh, I, Kevin Brady, he, ranking member Ways and Means, knows his stuff. My goodness. Um and he's retiring now at the end of this year and he's just you got to be breathing somewhat easy i guess if you're if you're in his shoes right now you don't have to do all the fundraisers you don't have to go to all the parties you don't have to deal with all the 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 nonsense uh that other members of congress do the phone number here if you want to be a part of the program let me get a phone call in here before i go to go to break is 877 877- 97 Eric 877-973-7425. Wayne, you're going to be up next. Welcome. Hi, Eric. Uh, thanks for everything you do, and thanks for your voice out there. I know it's uh, deeply appreciated, uh, at least for me and probably everybody else that's listening to you. Sure uh, I'm down Thank here you. just south of you in Macon. Oh, wow. Great. Um, yeah, down here at Kathleen. I'm a retired uh, service member from the U.S. Air Force. Well, thank you for your um, service. Yeah. And I'd like to invite you to my church. I know you mentioned a while back that uh, you, you were thinking about switching denominations. Uh, I can leave that information with your uh, call screener if you want. Oh, yeah, uh, fantastic. I I, was, I, yeah, I will say, though, we, we, we are happy with church. Uh, my wife occasionally wishes we were a little more Baptist, though. Okay. <laughs> I would like to call, though, and uh, state, you know, just my 
frustration and discouragement that I found over President Biden's uh, unification and, uh, you know, his promises to provide healing and unification. That was all just political garbage that most politicians speak out. Um, because as we've seen, he's habitually acted in a way that that outright defiance to that promise. Um, and I would suggest, you know, he look in Proverbs for guidance instead of whatever advice panel he has, he's using. <clears throat> yeah. Amen. You know, yeah. it's, I'm, I'm really, I, I, you know, I, I actually have to say, I am surprised. And a lot of people say, well, I, you shouldn't be, he's a Democrat, but Biden really made his entire campaign on healing the nation, uh, bringing unity where he felt there was division and showing a little more compassion to the common man. And now suddenly the vac- the unvaccinated are bad people, the people who don't want his legislation passed are racists, uh, not really a way to unite the country. Uh, and then, of course, all, all the stuff he's doing inside the military with the uh, pushing people out who are skeptical of the vaccine or have some level of hesitancy about the vaccine. It's just, this is not a uniting presidency. I mean, Donald Trump united us more than Joe Biden's doing. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and the people I talked to, you know, I wasn't a Trump supporter in the beginning. I did vote for him in 2016. Um, and basically the reason why I didn't like him is the same reason that upset me with him for four years is his body language and his uh, off statement uh, comments that he would always make. And, you know, the, the the healing and unification that President Biden was talking about came off the heels of Trump and the protests of 2020 and January 6th, unfortunately. Uh, I think the answer, just like Congressman Brady said, belongs in the local community. Uh, we do know that the things are what they are. We walk around and see each other on a daily basis, and we're not fighting at each other. And I would just suggest that President Biden be gracious because God has been gracious to him, that he be humble and listen and respect the individual. Amen. And thank you very much. Wayne, thank you so much. Happy New Year to you. That's very well said. Yeah, the president should probably read some Proverbs, read some Psalms, and stop listening to Ron Klain. The phone number here, 877-973-7425. We'll be back. I got to play you all some audio. You know, really one of the things that has the most impact on presidential and and political campaigns around the country is local news coverage. Uh, As newspapers are on decline in the country, but local TV and radio is not. Local TV and radio still gets coverage and still generates news. And between the local TV coverage and then the ABC, CBS, NBC news on like the morning shows and, and the evening newscasts, which still matter greatly in politics, more so than a CNN, a Fox, or an MSNBC. Listen, I realize we hear the headlines, more people watch Fox News than all other news networks combined. Well, yes, in cable. But most Americans still get their news from the ABC, CBS, and NBC News 30-minute shows at night. That's why those anchors are so well paid. They get a ton of news from local news as well. And this from CBS is the sort of stuff they're hearing on their news broadcasts that are repackaged and reshown on news stations and different affiliates around the country. This just happened this morning on uh, the, the CBS Morning Show, I for CBS Mornings, whatever they call it. New federal data show consumer prices soared over the last year. Gas prices are up nearly 50%. Used car prices jumped 37%. And prices of all types of groceries also went up. Shoppers are also finding empty shelves at stores, which is reminiscent of the early days of the pandemic. Scott McFarland has the story. Up and down the aisles of this Whole Foods outside San Francisco. A lot of produce was just out. 
Like, the green onions gone. Like, <laughs> the apples that I was looking for weren't there. To this shop right in New Jersey. Some of the water was missing last time. Some of the cereals were missing. Shoppers across the country are being met with empty shelves. This is actually the third store I've been to tonight trying to find some pasta. And sticker shock. Prices are off the charts. Off the charts for a middle-class family to eat. Last month, it was $5, half a gallon orange juice. This month, $10 for a half a gallon but only one type. A new report from the Bureau of Labor Statistics found the price of ground beef jumped 13% over the last year. Fresh fruits nearly 8%, eggs 11%. In addition to the sticker shock, shoppers across the country are complaining of supply chain shortages, sharing images on social media of empty shelves at grocery stores. Experts say the shortage is a perfect storm. Severe winter weather mixed with supply chain issues and a rise in COVID cases keeping workers out sick amid ongoing staffing shortages. The nation's truckers tell CBS News they're operating with 80,000 fewer drivers than needed. Oh, y'all. And by the way, remember the Biden administration is adding new regulations to truck driving in this country. For environmental concerns, that is adding to the shortages. These are the headlines people are seeing on their local news channels in the morning when they're getting ready for work. And they see Joe Biden and the Speaker of the House is a Democrat and the Majority Leader of the Senate is a Democrat. And they're pouring all of their energy into a voting rights bill that nobody cares about. And they're not dealing with any of this stuff. This is really bad for the Democrats. It's really bad, objectively so. And you thought these last two years were crazy. Welcome to 2022. It's coming up and nothing makes sense still, especially in business. If you're a small business owner, good luck getting financing from a big bank right now. I can offer you a fantastic solution if you're looking for $750,000 or more in financing for your business. First Liberty Building and Loan. Let's say you want to buy a new building or you want to refi existing debt or you want to buy a company. Basically, you see opportunity for your business to grow, but you've hit a wall with the mega banks getting financing. That's where First Liberty Building and Loan and my friends, the Frost family, come in. They solve small business financing problems better than anyone I've ever seen. They say yes, where big banks say no, it's that simple. Look, just do this. Spend 10 minutes with them. Call them, First Liberty Building and Loan. Say Eric sent you. In 10 minutes, you'll know if you're a good fit for their program. Go to firstlibertyga.com. That's firstlibertyga.com. They help small businesses nationwide in all 50 states. Firstlibertyga.com.